my man Michael, fresh off the plane from Romania, he's got himself a mustache from being overseas, got himself a little goatee, a little soul patch. I mean, it's powerful. God was clearly moving on this trip, bro. So if you know anything about Michael, Michael became a Christian here about two years ago, a year and a half ago? Almost. Uh, has now... He's going, uh, he's going to become a campus intern. He's raised a partnership team to be an intern at KSU. Uh, has been on mission trips and just got back from our mission trip to Romania. And so I wanted you to hear just a couple minutes of what took place uh, through Michael and the team and what God did there. Brings up speed. I got you. Got you. Technology is an amazing thing. So it's definitely already a testimony of faith that we found out I can grow facial hair. Um, <laughs> it's a miracle, man. I finally beat Steven. Where's he at? Um, but yeah, so, so two weeks ago, I, or now almost three weeks ago, I hopped on a plane for Romania, and I actually didn't apply for my passport until the Monday before and picked it up on Tuesday and then hopped on a plane on Wednesday. It was only by God that that was even possible. Um, everyone was freaking out. That's a college student right there. <laughs> Procrastination at best. Um, but <laughs> it, this trip was not like any other trip. A lot of trips in every nation, they go to a church plant, they do evangelism close to the church plant, and then any student who comes to know Jesus ends up getting plugged into the church plant. But there was nothing there. Um, and what's crazy about it is a year ago at one of our Every Nation conferences in Berlin, a young girl named Maria walked up to the founder of our ministry and said, you have to bring this to my city. And just one girl's moment of faith brought a team from Poland, a team from Krakow, a team from the United States, and a team from Romania together. We literally went, met some people at a church there, and asked them to come with us. And then we began doing something called the God Test and doing evangelism Mm -hmm. on literally a street, because they don't have a campus like we do. They have it spread out. So we're just waiting for students to pass by. We're saying, hey, you got five minutes. And most of them are atheists or Orthodox. So there's this guy, his name's Theo. I walk up to him and say, hey, you got 10 minutes? He was like, yeah, I got 10. You think you can do it faster? I was like, yeah, this dude can come to know Jesus in like four. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I pull yes. out my phone and we're doing the God test. And the first question is, do you believe in God? He goes, no, God's definitely not real. An hour and a half later, we're still sitting on the curb and he leaves saying God has to be real, that I had to have been born for a purpose Jesus had to have died for me because why is it I feel the nature to love people? And then a few days later, we're walking in a park and we we do the same thing, a God test to a random mom who's super scared and anxious and she answers all the right questions. Do you believe in God? Yeah, he's like a father, he's like a dad. And she has her her kid in her her arms and um, she answers all the right questions. We said, hey, can can we pray for you? And she says, yes, please pray. And by about the second few words, she's in tears. And we had said, God, we thank you that, that your word says in Isaiah that though the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, your covenant of steadfast love and peace will never be taken away. And she starts weeping even harder, and she's got mascara running down her face. And I'm snotty-nosed because this one woman I've never met is, like, crying in front of me. And turns out her son that she's holding in her arms is named after that passage. And her marriage was falling apart. And she was like, thank you so much. I have no idea, like, I've not felt God, the Father's, like, love so tangibly in so long. And that was all started because one girl 
walked up to the founder and said, you have to bring this here. Yeah. And the most moving part, this is the last story before I fire hose you all, was the most moving part for me was I um, had the honor of, of riding with her and her dad to their, their house to, to have food with them. And her dad begins to tell us thank you and thank you and thank you, thank you for, for everything. And we're like, we haven't done anything. Like, what are you talking about? And um, he goes, no, you don't understand. And he doesn't speak English. So his daughter is having to translate, which is already weird enough. <laughs> <laughs> and he begins crying. And then his daughter begins crying. And then I'm starting to cry because <laughs> I'm just the most empathetic guy. And that's why I'm like, well, at least I have facial hair now. <laughs> and um, <laughs> he's like, no, you don't understand. When our daughter said that she wanted to leave here and go to college in London, it broke our hearts because we thought the Western world would spoil her. We thought she'd run away from church. And this part of London is, is big where there's rape and, and sex trafficking and stuff. So they thought if our daughter comes back, she won't be the same if we ever get her back. And he's, he's tearing up and he says, but when we got the call that she had found this church and she was calling it home and these people were her family and they were feeding her and she was growing in a relationship with God and she had felt loved there after feeling alone for the first semester. His dad's crying. He was like, we literally, me and my wife cried for two hours just out of thankfulness that our daughter had found home where we thought hope would be lost. So the biggest thing for me coming back from this trip is, is that was me. I came in here super fearful mm. and I found home here. And as we're, we're having a campus ministry that's starting and, and students are coming in here, the next Mimi, the next Zach, could be the next Maria that says, bring this home so mm. other people can experience the same love and grace and freedom that I experienced. And it was just because of one girl. And I'm just weeping because I'm like, man, if, if there's anything that says Jesus came and, and just wanted to, to tell us how much he loved him. It's this guy who doesn't speak English and is <laughs> translating how much he's thankful for us and loves us through, through the eyes of his daughter who's breaking down because she's never heard his, mm -hmm. her father be this vulnerable before. Wow. So. Come on, bro. Thank you. You know what? Michael, thank you. If you've never been on an every nation mission trip. The ministry we're part of is called Every Nation. And what Michael was describing is, is a place where we have no church yet. And those kinds of trips are really interesting because they're very, you, you basically are kind of taking your spiritual shovel with you and you're just trying to dig up some dirt. And you're, you're praying for the breakthrough moment. And it's just powerful to see. And so what we're believing to do is to see and have a church plant birth there, you know, in the next year to two years, something of that sort. And so we're laying the groundwork, and we're just thankful that someone from our church got to be a part of that team uh, and be a part of the first fruits of what's happening in that city. Uh, we have a team that's going to be leaving for Scotland. Um, I know. That's a tough trip right there. Scotland. It's a real just dark, you know, terrible place to have to go see. Uh, just kidding. And actually, spiritually, it is dark, actually. No joke, joking aside. Um, in fact, if you, if you um, are signed up for that trip, uh, we have an interest meeting after church today. And come to find out, many of the people haven't been getting the messages that have been sent. So surprise, uh, we have a mission trip meeting after church today. Guys, we're talking about freedom 
what Michael described were people actually experiencing freedom. People on the street, strangers getting prayed for, doing the God test, which I realize most of you don't even know what that is. It's an app we developed to help people engage in evangelism. That they could experience the freedom of knowing Jesus Christ. And we're in a series called Big Faith, where we're talking about Gideon, one of the heroes of the Old Testament. And to no surprise this morning, guess what we're talking about? Freedom. We're talking about a people that are crying out to God because they're under such, such weight of persecution. They're under the weight of, of just living their life and surviving. If you know the context of Israel and the Midianites, uh, we've got a people that can't even grow their own crops without fear of the enemy coming and taking the very thing that they have grown just to survive and eat. We've got uh, homes that are ransacked every time you turn around. People that are pillaged, raped, villages destroyed. People that are dying. And they're wondering where on earth God is. And they begin to cry out to him. And the reason they found themselves in this place in the first place is because they had wandered from God and following him and putting him first in their life. And so that's the stage that we find ourselves in as we're talking this morning about having faith. Where do you have to use faith today? Where is it that God is requiring you to use faith? I can promise you God is asking for you to. I can promise you that he's pulling you and pressing you and trying to produce in you a life that is more full of faith and trust in him. So where is that? See, we're great at, as Christians just talking about faith, aren't we? It's kind of this generic, ambiguous thing, faith. But the reality is, you need to use it, and there are specific areas in your life, oftentimes, that plague you, or there are snares for you, where you just don't trust God very much. And so this morning, what we're talking about, carrying the message a little bit further, is big faith. Where is God asking you to have big faith? Last week, I tried to bite off more than I could chew. I, faith is a big conversation to have. And I thought I could have the whole thing in one Sunday. <laughs> I couldn't. I got tongue-tied and twisted up. I sat down and I thought, what on earth did I just say up there last week? And so I'm gonna, a little bit of a smaller bite today that we're gonna, we're gonna walk through, we're gonna talk about, and hopefully you're gonna take and be able to use when you walk out these doors. Father, be with us this morning. Speak to us. Challenge us. Work in us, God, a greater faith. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Turn to Judges 7, 1 through 3. You've heard the context already with, with Gideon. He's hiding, uh, he's literally threshing wheat uh, in a wine press. He's hiding 
But an angel of the Lord comes and my paraphrase says, look, man, God wants to use you to set his people free. You're gonna be the next deliverer. Man up, rise up. God wants to use you. And so we begin to see a, a fearful Gideon putting God to the test. And so we finally get to the place where, where Gideon is actually preparing to lead an army of people to fight the enemy, that they would gain their independence, so to speak. And that's where we find ourselves in Judges 7, 1 through 3. Early in the morning, Jerob Baal, that is Gideon, that's his, that's his name, and all his men camped at the spring of Harad. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I can't deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anybody who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. All along we see God trying to cultivate a greater faith in Gideon. And we see it culminating in this moment. I love this story. I can see myself, and I have a feeling you can see yourself very easily in the story. You finally get the courage to trust God. And the, the, the chapters preceding this, we see Gideon being fearful. And he's kind of like, you know, you ever gone to the pool and the water's really cold? Well, what do you do? You know, you, you stick your toe into it. And then, and then what else do we do? Well, we, get in, we go into the step. As if somehow you're going to get acclimated and then you get into the next step. You get a little bit deeper. It's actually the worst way to get into the pool. It's the worst way. Yet we do it every time, don't we? You know, it's just, this is going to make it a lot easier. And then like the, the little wave laps you and you're like, oh, gosh. You know, and, and that's what Gideon is doing. Rather than just jumping in and trusting God, he's tippy-toe, stepping in, stepping in. And with each moment, God is bringing him to a greater place of trust and of faith. And so here we have Gideon. He's got an army of, what, 30, what's his total army? 32,000, I believe. 32,000 men. And the army that they are getting ready to fight is 135,000 strong. His odds aren't even good to begin with. It's a miracle that 32,000 guys have even shown up in the first place. And God says to him, uh, <laughs> I don't think so. Let's, let's, let's reduce this number. Because you would be able to say to me, look what my strength has accomplished. And so anybody that's a little bit nervous, anybody that's anxious, anybody that's a little bit scared, look, no shame. Punch your meal ticket. Why don't you go on home? And 22,000 people leave. Talk about the most discouraging moment in the history of mankind when you're getting ready to go fight an army and 22,000 of your guys leave. That's discouraging. Last time I checked. And so Gideon, we find ourselves, when we look at the picture of this, this man, 
We see him consistently testing to see if it's really God asking him to do this rather than the pizza he ate the night before. You know, wants to make sure, God, is this really you? God, is this really you? And what I love about this account of Gideon, I love the fact that he's afraid because I can relate to that. Can't you? Can you not relate to being afraid to what God's asking you to do? Can you not relate to trying to dodge it, to get around it, to do anything you can to avoid moving, going, saying, stepping out? We do not gravitate to a life of faith. Nothing inside of us naturally by our own flesh and blood gravitates towards faith in God. It does the exact opposite. But what I love about the story of Gideon is that God finds Gideon in this place and he refuses to let him stay where he found him. And that is good news for you and I because God doesn't leave you the same way he finds you. Meaning if you're afraid today, if you're fearful today, if you're having a difficult time trusting God today, I've got great news for you. God isn't done with you. He's not finished with you. God is still working powerfully in your life. And he is drawing you and breathing life into you and gently and sometimes not so gently taking you to a place where you can trust him more. Judges 7, verse 4. The Lord said to Gideon, <laughs> mind you, there's 10,000 guys left against an army of 135,000. God says to Gideon, hey man, you still got too many guys. There's still too many men. Take them down to the water and I'll thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. <laughs> so Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, verse 8, but kept how many? 300. They took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now, mind you, you're getting ready to go fight. And you are now in charge of all the supplies of these other 10,000 guys, or, or excuse me, 9,700 guys that just left. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley, and during the night the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. <sighs> wow. I'm getting ready to be 36 years old next week. And I've got to tell you, this is a lesson that I still am learning. To trust God in these moments where it just looks impossible. We are a people that love numbers. We love studies. We love data. I especially do. My major was economics and finance. I love all the information and what it says. And you know what the information says to me when you're 300 versus 135,000? That says to me you're about to get your tail whooped. Like real bad whooped. 
And yet God has other plans. And it is so easy for us to, to esteem our own strength and to look at what we find ourselves just naturally capable of. What I think I can do and what I don't think I can do. And we, we survey and we assess. And we imagine what, what we think is safe and what's comfortable. And that's what we, we end up doing. And that is not the place that God has invited us to live a relationship with him. That's not where he's invited us to stay. Interestingly enough, the Amalekites and the Midianites, there was something that they were renowned for in Scripture. First off, they were vicious. They were wicked people. They were known for rape. They were known for child sacrifice. They were known for prostitution at the, at the Baal, uh, altar of false gods. They were known for blood worship and blood sacrifices. But they were also known for being powerful and for having pride in their own strength. And God writes about these people in the book of Habakkuk 1, verse 11. There's a whole long line of things that he's using to describe these people. But he says that they sweep past like the wind and go on. They're guilty people whose own strength is their God. Weird, is it not? That when you think of people worshiping a God, I think of a little idol. And, I'm, and I know they had those. I know, I know that existed. I know there were false gods and other things. But I love the way God puts it in Scripture. Because more than those things being their God, you know what their God was? It was their own strength. It was their own muscle. It was their own prowess. Their ability to do and rely on their own strength. And I gotta be really honest with you. On this July 3rd, July 4th weekend, when I look at these people in Scripture, I find myself amazed that, that thousands of years later, we find ourselves struggling with the exact same thing. One of the greatest gods that we worship isn't our Heavenly Father, but our own strength and our own ability to do, our own ability to provide, our own ability to accomplish, our own ability to build and look what I have done. I'm safe. I'm secure. I'm comfortable. I've got my 401k all tricked out. I'm straight. I've got the house that I need. Lazy boy. Kicking back. I got the yard that I was dreaming of. I finally got that girl. I finally got the guy. And now life is good. Life is great. It's grand. And what you're really saying is that my strength is the God of my life. What I can do, what I can find, what I can put my life into, that is a greater source of hope and strength than God Almighty. And is it any surprise that when the God of heaven and earth presents us with situations that look impossible, we cower because we're not used to trusting him. We're used to trusting ourselves. 
Just a thought. Call me crazy. I have four kids. Generally, one of them makes it into a message almost every week. There is nothing like parenting little ones to help you understand God and Scripture better. It will humble you big time. And I've shared this story once before. I'm going to share it again. There's nothing like having multiple siblings in a house, especially an older one. What what does the older child like to do to the younger child? I think I heard somebody say, be the boss. Did I just hear that? You know that's right. There is nothing like an older child that somehow thinks, I wear the pants around here. And I'm going to tell my younger brother or my younger sister what they need to do. I'm going to tell them how, they need, how they're going to do it and when they're going to do it. Because after all, I'm the boss around here. And I love my oldest son, Grammy, seven. Oh, man, does he love to be the boss. I mean, he will tell somebody how long they can play on the iPad before their time is up. He will tell them when it's time to go put on their pajamas. He will tell them it's time for you to go brush your teeth. It's time for you to go put on your clothes. I mean, <laughs> he is, just thinks he's the boss of everything. And one time, he, he, you know, this, was, this wasn't too long ago. He, he was just he was playing that card way too much. And I had to get down you know, on, on two knees just like this. And I said, Graham, I'm going to tell you something. You are not mommy, and you are not daddy. Stop talking to your brothers and sisters like you are. Do you understand me? You're not the boss. He sat there and he said, okay, daddy, but I am the little boy boss. (laughs) I am the little boy boss. Like, right? Like I got, I got, a, I have some sheriffs. I've got, I've got a badge around here somewhere, don't I? And it, <laughs> this is, this is the heartbeat of our problem. That our, that we, we want to, ha- we want to be the little boy boss, the little girl boss. Oh, God is real. He's true. I worship Him. I go to church, and it's a great Sunday, and I love it. And at the end of the day, what we really want is to be able to placate God, have a great feeling, and then still be the little boss of our life that's relying on our own strength, doing things in our own strength, and making us right with God in our own strength. And God says, I don't think so. You're not anything. You're my son and you're my daughter. But you're not the boss of any single thing. You're not the little boy boss. Do you understand me? So stop trying to boss these things around and show your own strength. Because you don't have any. And I don't like that. Do you? Even as I'm standing up here and I'm saying it, there's a part of me that says, ah, I don't like that because my life doesn't gravitate towards a natural faith in God. 
My life doesn't gravitate to identifying that I am weak. And because I am weak, I must look to he who is strong. No, my life gravitates to me identifying as the God and boss of my own life who's relying on my own strength. Think about it for a second. Let's get real specific. And by the way, in case you've never heard the story before, I'm going to ruin it for you right now. Gideon leads this army, this ragtag band of 300 guys, and they dominate an army of 135,000. And you can read the story yourself. There's, there's some trickery there. There's some misdirection that happens, and the army itself kind of implodes and begins to fight it itself. They're killing each other. And what happens is, is God purposefully and with great intent puts a situation where the odds are so against Gideon so that when it's finally over, Gideon can say nothing but only God could have done that. Wow, do we serve an unbelievable God. And I know when I look at my own life, I imagine some of you are this way too. When I look at my desire to make more money, is there anything inherently wrong with that? No. It's a good thing to walk in financial prosperity and to give out of financial prosperity as well. But what oftentimes is really the underbelly of that beast is I, I, if I could just make more money, I wouldn't have to think about it anymore. I could just remove it from my mind, check it off the list, and not have to have any of it consume my thoughts, which really means it wouldn't have to consume any of my prayer. I wouldn't have to go to God about it. I wouldn't have to lean on him or trust him about it. I just wish I had that relationship because if I did, I could just, I'd be satisfied in my heart and soul. What you're really saying is, I would love to remove this thing from my life so I don't have to use faith for it anymore. And that's not how God intended, is it? That's not his best for you. His best for you isn't that he would just continue to reduce all these things in your life. So finally, you've arrived and there's nothing you have to use your faith for anymore. Sorry, that's not how it works. The God that we serve will proactively Resist you and your life and your efforts to make sure, to ensure that you are living a life of faith and a life that can turn back and say, I don't even know how this is possible except that God, he did it. Only God could have done that. God teaches us to have faith, not in the size of our strength, but in the size of our Savior.
And make no mistake about it, while the story of Gideon, it's a picture of faith. It's a picture of, of a man who in his weakness is made strong because of the spirit of God. But make no mistake about it, it's also a, a shadow. It, it's a story that, that points us towards another deliverer. Another deliverer, much like Gideon, who was raised up out of, out of insignificant uh, uh, means and of insignificant location. When Gideon was, was pronounced the, this deliverer, people thought, who is this guy? He's the weakest in his family. He's the weakest in his clan. And yet, thousands of years later, there was another deliverer who was raised up. A deliverer who wouldn't just set people free, politically speaking, but who would set them free in their soul. Who would give them true and great independence. And what we see is that our great and mighty Jesus, much like Gideon, was, was against impossible odds. And everyone thought, surely this, this is it. Who dies on a cross? Who gets arrested? Who gets nailed to this, this beam of wood and hoisted in the air and calls it a victory? It's the 300 versus the 135,000 again. Surely this can't be God, but in fact, it was God. And Jesus, different than Gideon, he wasn't someone who needed to grow in his faith or needed to grow in his strength. Far be it. He gives us the perfect example of what godly strength and godly righteousness looks like so that we who are weak might actually be able to look to the one who is true and perfectly strong. That we might not rely on our own strength but that we might be able to say, Father God, I am weak, I am broken, and I am empty. But you, mighty God, are strong. And I put my faith not in my own strength, but in you. And this morning, that's our challenge today. It's to proactively not put our faith and our strength in the size of our army, in the size of our bank account, or the size of our relationship, or the size of our home, or the size of our job, or the size of our ability and talent. But to put our faith in our Savior. It's not about the size of your strength. It's about the size of our Savior. And He is strong. And He is big. And He is good. And we can put our faith in that. Let's pray. Father, thank you today. God, on this, this Independence Day weekend, God, where we talk about freedom, 
God, where we celebrate freedom, we thank you that there is a freedom even greater, God, than the freedom we have tasted, God, in, in our government and in our country. God, it is, a, it is a freedom of the soul, a freedom to be known by you and to not be a slave to sin or a slave to worshiping our own strength. And Father, today we choose to worship you You are the God of our life. You are the one who sits on the throne of our heart and makes the decisions on our behalf. And we choose not to shrink back when the odds look difficult, when the odds feel impossible, but we choose to believe and we choose to trust you, God. More than the size of our strength, We love you and worship you because of the size of our Savior. If you're sitting here this morning and you need to put your faith in Jesus, maybe you just need to do it afresh. Maybe you've wandered. Maybe you've been drifting. Maybe you have been trusting in other things other than God, other than Jesus himself. If that's you and you need to just put your trust and faith in him anew today, then raise your hand and pray with me. Go on, raise your hands. Don't be shy. If you need to put your faith in Jesus afresh today, say, Jesus, today you are my Lord and Savior. I thank you for saving me. I thank you that your strength is enough. I put my hope in your strength. I put my faith in your strength. I turn away from trusting myself and putting my trust in other things, and I put it in you, Jesus. You are the king of my heart and the king of my life. In the name of Jesus. Amen. We serve a great God that desires for you to live a life of faith. And if you're sitting here this morning and maybe you had a a powerful moment just now praying, don't be shy and run out the doors. Talk to someone. Come down front. Engage with a staff member or a friend or, or introduce yourself to someone and ask them, I know it sounds crazy, but use your faith today to pray for you. Let God continue working in your life.